Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Now, getting out of your comfort zone, which for me means leading when your team knows more, means that you have to change the nature of your relationship with your team. So if you think about it, when you are the expert leader, your team comes to you to solve a technical problem because they admire your depth of expertise. That means, in effect, you're the hero that can fix things and can solve their problems. And that's why people come to you. That's the value that you add to the team. But when the team knows more, they're not coming to you for technical answers. They're coming to you for something completely different. And that changes the relationship and it changes the interactions. In this space, when the team knows more, your job as a manager is about at least connection, inspiration, and direction. Probably a lot more as well, but let's start there. So in this context, unless each team member feels that you care about him or her as a whole human being, not just a workplace engine that produces output, but cares about as a whole human being, then I'm going to tell you that nothing good has happened. You're not going to have innovation. You're not going to have engagement. You're not going to have marginal effort. You're not going to have a sense of purpose or meaning. And you're also going to find it's really difficult for people to receive your feedback. So all of this, your effectiveness, in effect, as a manager, starts with making people feel that they are cared for. Now, when I say that, most managers turn to me and say, okay, how do I do it? Well, guess what? We've got the answer for you today. So my guest is Pamela Hackett. She has advised, led, and supported people through major change within some of the world's most prominent companies and brands in her 35 years of management consulting. She's the global CEO of the international consultancy Proudfoot, which is a pioneer of boots-on-the-ground consulting that's been in this game for eight decades. Uh, Pamela is a guest, is on a quest, excuse me, to help all companies build businesses that are both fit and healthy, productive and engaged. And she has a brand new book called Manage to Engage, How Great Managers Create Remarkable Results. And that's what we're going to talk about. You can learn more about her at PamelaHackett.com. Pamela, welcome to the show. Hi, Wanda. Thanks for having me, letting me spread the word. Hey, I'm with you. This is an important message and one we've all got to say a lot more often, as you can tell. So why? Why does this topic about helping managers engage, other than it's your consulting business, but why does that matter to you? What's the problem you're trying to solve? Oh, you know, I think it's all about nothing moves until people move. And I think that, you know, that's the, the whole crux of it. I, I I think if if there's one sentence that I will take with me for the rest of my life, it's that one. Um, and it really talks about the fact that the pre-pandemic, there was a huge issue with employee engagement. Post-pandemic, or if you can call it post-pandemic yet, um, still an issue. Only this time round, we've got so much more that we have to do and, you know, just such bigger mountains that we have to climb. And so how are you going to do it if you haven't engaged your people? How are you going to do it if you don't have your teams behind you? And I think that's really the message to get out to everybody today is that if if you want to be a great leader, the first thing you've got to do is learn how to manage to engage. 
Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm 100% bought in. <laughs> I think most managers believe that they engage people because their vision, their sense of direction, their strategy is so brilliant and insightful that it immediately gets people on board and they say, gun ho, I'm right behind you. At least that's what I watch an awful lot of managers do. What are you seeing? Well, if that were the case, all the adverts and the television programs that have all their advertisements would work, right? We'd all run out and buy the product. Um, and, I, and, of course, it doesn't. And, of course, that's not enough. Um, so while I think that's a part of the puzzle and it is really important to have all of that, until you actually are able to connect as a leader, as a manager with your people and do more than that, really get in to the the same kind of psyche with one another, um, you're not going to get the results that you want. So I think think that's all part of the puzzle, but it's just such a big, it shouldn't be complicated, but it is a really complex question. Yeah, it is. I mean, because everybody's different. There's a whole bunch of uniqueness. There's a lot of concerns about what do I say the right thing? I don't want to say something that offends everybody. There's enormous sensitivities. And many managers are not managing, leading, because they are the smartest with this human connection, emotional connection for that one. All right. I want to start with a stat that you quote, uh, which is from a new report that a whopping 69% of employees have one foot out the door. I've seen that as much as 75 from some other reports that 52% are on the job hunt, meaning half your employees are actively looking for a job. Half. Yep, they're on their way out the door. And here's one, 71% are more disengaged this year than the year before. And engagement has never been all that great to begin with. So 70% are more disengaged. My goodness, why? what's happening here? What's going wrong? Yeah, so we had an iceberg to begin with and, and now it got just a whole lot more icy um, at work. I think that if, if you really kind of look at what engagement's all about um, and you take away the HR angle of engagement, so what do I mean by that? The policies, the perks, the ping pong tables. If you take that all off the table, you're left with one really important thing and that's that engagement is all about the relationship between the boss and the person who works with that boss. Um, So the leader and the team or the leader and the individual. And once you get into that, you can start to see why sometimes people get out of bed in the morning and they're really not interested in the same things that you're interested in. And that's because you're not making that connection as a leader with them. You're not getting in there and actually routinely understanding the business, what's coming at people, helping people get through their day, helping them do great work. You know, it's more than just um, it's more than just being able to say, hey, hi, how are you doing today? You know, it's not about that. It's really about that routine, that drumbeat where you're with your people routinely enough that you do understand the nature of the work. It doesn't mean that you have to be the expert in it. It doesn't mean that you have to be the guy who suddenly drops everything and gets into it when there's a crisis, but it does mean that you have to understand what's coming at the guys each day and helping them actually do their best work. So I think it's, it's a, it, you know, it's all about people not necessarily recognizing. So back to the original question on those stats, people, I think that leaders, managers for, for, for no purposeful reason, just don't recognize the huge impact they have on those stats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I hope everybody listening to this who has anybody working around them, most of my clients are understaffed already. 
They have more work than they can actually handle in capacity. I think work has increased over the pandemic, not decreased. Certainly a number of meetings have increased, and I think that means the work has increased. And I think you have to take this number really seriously. And it's not just one study. I've seen it on multiples and sometimes even higher. Half your team is looking for another job. Half. Yeah. And it's frightening because the the workforce out there to choose from is also not there. So you've got a double whammy. Um, And then I, you know, we work a lot in the mining business in in Proudfoot and we've seen mines, whole mines go on strike um, through the pandemic. So you've got the bad stats. You've got a really, uh, a labor pool that has shrunk. Uh, A lot of people going into more entrepreneurial roles themselves, starting their own businesses. And plus you've got, what probably is the outcome of a disgruntled or an unhappy workforce um, coming through that that way of strike. So you've got it coming at, at you from just about every angle now, which means you've got to do something because you can't just stick your head in the, sta- in the sand and, and hope that all of those problems are going to miraculously either be solved or go away. Yeah. And I don't think another rallying cry, you know, another in effect marketing campaign that says, come on, we're in this together, this is great, is going to work. Because I think that just breeds cynicism. I think people are today are rolling their eyes and saying, yeah, we're not in it together. You're dumping it on me and expecting me to get it all done without any empathy or any understanding or any anything. Okay. So I want to talk for a minute about engagement. There are many different forms of engagement surveys. I'm sure everybody listening has participated in one. One of the most famous one is the Gallup Q12 couple of questions on that that I find really fascinating. One is I have a best friend at work. And the other one has to do with questions about my manager has spoken to me, given me praise in the last week, and that somebody has spoken to me in the last few months about my progress. So there's that steady conversation in the Q12 and that sense of I'm connected to somebody at work, even if it isn't at my manager. But a whole bunch of companies use other versions of engagement, and there's always this question somewhere in there about trust of management or lack of trust of management, and particularly lack of trust of senior management. And you know, most of the companies that I deal with hover somewhere in the 70 if they're, or 73, 4% of an engaged workforce, year in and year out, move it by 1%. And get a little jaded. Like, how can it possibly be that people don't trust management? What do you mean? I'm so trustworthy. What's the problem? And I've seen senior managers go, Chuck, I don't buy this. I don't believe it. And they don't pay any attention. So what's your response to that? So firstly, those stats are actually pretty good, aren't they? When you're talking about some of those those numbers are actually better than a lot of the organisations that um, that I've seen. Um, but, and the big but is, you're right, the numbers have very, very rarely have they changed. And in fact, we saw a bit of a spike through the pandemic um, where people did get behind that rallying cry because we were all in it together, but it didn't last um, and I think the other thing that needs to be uh, remembered there and, and slight digression, but comes back to the same point, and that's that for years people have said that uh, leaders have said, oh, my workforce won't change. You know, they're resistant to change. And we don't find that. What we find is that the, the, the teams, the people, the workforce 
They don't know how to participate in it. And remarkably, through the pandemic, suddenly they did, which meant that they were able to get up and rally around something and get it done because it was front and centre and everybody was talking about it and, the you know, the plans and the, the way to do it was clear. Um, but then come back to the, the jadedness around those stats, you know, then post-pandemic or, or where we are today, um, they've come back to a very uninspiring level and you're right managers have said geez this you know I just don't get this so Mm -hmm. a couple of things I think again number one going back to that this is not about all the perks policies and so on that are in the company it is about you not from a, a culpability perspective but your capability and your capacity to actually interact I really do enjoy the the Gallup survey amongst all of the ones that I don't, which are much more like employee satisfaction surveys. They're not helpful uh, when it comes to engagement. But where Gallup really gets it right is around that contact and that the the fact that you need that routine contact. I just don't think it's enough. Um, you can't really build trust by having a chat once a week or having a chat in the last month or two. And so that's where, you know, we talk about putting together a real drumbeat in your routine, in your leadership, in your management, um, in your behaviour model, and putting that into something much more real time. One five thirty is just a really pragmatic tool that we use, which says check in once a day, once a week, have a more interesting conversation, maybe for 30 minutes, and then once a month, you're 30 have an even more in-depth conversation. So if you look at it that way, you've got check-in once a day, few minutes, see how things are going, um, you know, get beyond the, hey, how's it going kind of conversation and get into the, how's the job going? How's the work going today? Is there anything that's stopping you from doing the great work that you want to do? And then once every five days, have a much more interesting conversation about really how the week has gone. Have you accomplished the goals that you want to accomplish? What's getting in the way of those? Or, gee, we should just have a, a great conversation and celebrate the great, great work that's happened. And then once a month have that more meaningful developmental coaching guiding kind of conversation and if you get that right then you bring the routine to the day that starts to address trust but more importantly you can probably get rid of that awful annual performance review program that you use as well because you'll just be doing it automatically and it'll be related to your operating results and not some capability chart that isn't relevant when it comes to your team who are saying, am I actually achieving my results? Right. I've been talking with a couple of companies recently who are debating their smaller size companies and growing rapidly and now looking at processes. And I've been talking about they want to put in a performance review process. And I say, no, 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 don't, 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 because nobody loves those. We take an enormous amount of time to get them done and that nobody is happy. Like there's no way every six months that I can sit down and think about what's the feedback I want to give my employees if I haven't been doing that all along and have that feedback be meaningful. Yeah, And how can you be trusted if you only do it once every six months? Yeah. If we're not having an ongoing conversation, I don't think there's much to say. So I like this one five thirty. So every day, how's it going? Check in, not up. Every employee 
Okay, yeah. check in, not up. I like that phrasing. Every five days, so once a week, I'm having a smaller conversation about how has it gone for the week, about what are your goals, about what's not working, about progress, in effect. And then once a month, we're having that development conversation, that coaching conversation, um, progress. So that might be where feedback and or something you're working on. How's it? Go- how's that going? And, yeah. if you, you know, if you follow that thought a little bit forward as well, what you end up with then is continuous improvement, because mm-hmm. if you're having the right daily, weekly, monthly conversations, you're talking about what you plan to achieve versus what you actually achieve. You start to talk about what the variance is between the two. And then if there is a variance, you're going to talk about how to solve it. And generally, if you talk about how to solve that plan versus actual, you're going to start talking about continuous improvement. And so what you then bridge is the gap between engagement and productivity. So you actually start to address both and you you start to re- recognize and realize that in engaging, you are going to get better results. And those two things go hand in hand. And suddenly the conversation of engagement goes away from the what is perceived to be a soft, fluffy HR thing to a real hard results productivity conversation. I need to engage and it will help me get my real results out of my business. It almost seems like, Pamela, what you're talking about is not so much engagement. Because we think when we say engagement, we think about engagement survey. Mm-hmm. And we think about that metric, that number. What you're really talking about is connection, um, trust in some ways, um, the kind of willingness to go the extra mile to get something done, the proactive see progress and make change. Um, I think might, we might use the word you're bought in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, beget, you start to be all in, right? And isn't that what you're really looking for from your guys is okay. that they're all in with you. Yeah. Now, how does this connect? So I get the connection now between what you mean by engagement, this bought in, this connected um, manager being involved and building trust with the team and how that builds continuous improvement and how that builds productivity over the long run. Got it. See it. Okay. How about this? You know, currently everybody is hot on purpose and having a sense of purpose. And I'm going to use several words. Sometimes I say sense of meaning, sometimes a sense that my work has value in the world or is doing something good for the world. And sometimes it's just a sense of I get satisfaction in what I do. How does this your concept of engagement tie to purpose and meaning? Oh, very closely. Um, and I guess the, the, the real crux of that is that purpose is, again, one part of the puzzle, right? So it, it, the way that I look at purpose is that it's about cause. And I, I chose the word cause really intentionally because it's around what causes you to get out of bed in the morning and want to go to work. And when you can define it that way, you get a little bit more pragmatic with, again, your teams who might be struggling with, oh, I don't really understand what the big purpose is, or maybe purpose becomes too big for, you know, for me or for my business. I can't really connect the dots on I'm I'm selling sweaters, you know, and, and maybe there's no purpose in that. And so it's about Again, making that connection between what causes you to want to get out of bed and do a great work, do a great job, do great work today. Um, 
and that's all about purpose. You know, it's it's really, it, it all comes together when you start to look at it through the pragmatic eyes of your team and through the more, you know, if you like corporate speak that we often put to purpose um, around it. So I think it's a big part of the puzzle. I think that you have to have that to get those those um, engagement scores up if, if that's what you're looking for. I'm not looking for your engagement scores to go up. I'm actually looking for your results to go up, to go up. For you to right. achieve the results because nine times out of 10, if you are sustainably achieving great results, you've probably got an engaged workforce. Yeah, we certainly do see, and we have data to show that you can get great results for a period of time. You can't sustain them, though, without the vitality or engagement or connection that's going on. Um, I'll just take a moment to do my spiel on purpose briefly, because I believe that, yes, it's great if companies have a big purpose. That's why I joined them. But it doesn't get me out of bed and get me to do work and be satisfied with the work, feel proud of the work that I do. What's going to connect for me in feeling proud is that I'm doing work that has meaning to me. Yep. And I have a chance to do something that I'm proud of. So I'm proud of the quality. I'm not feeling like I'm compromising on it. I'm proud of the team that I'm part of. And all of that comes down to the connection I create both within the team and with my manager. I think purpose has to be defined for a meaningful way at an individual level, not at a corporate level. 100% agreed. Yeah. So, any rate, and managers are asking all the time, how do I, you know, aspire, inspire people? Well, start with what it is they're trying to achieve and what gives them a sense of satisfaction. Okay, enough for my soapbox. <laughs> so, okay. So, we buy that it's not the engagement survey, but it's the concept of having people engaged, bought in, cause, wanting to get out of bed, connecting, building trust. All right. You've given us one tool, which is 1530. Okay, I know how to go over to somebody to say, how's it going? But surely that's not enough. What else do I need to be doing as a manager? Give me the playbook for how to get this engagement process working. So one of the, you know, one of the first things that we found when we did a Proudfoot, at Proudfoot, we did a, a kind of a, a, a reconciliation. Of, we've done 50,000 engagements with, with clients across the world and, um, and been boots on the ground coaching about a million leaders. So, and all of that wonderful, rich data gave us one absolutely common element for everybody, um, all of the best led team, whether it was a team level or, or right to the very top of the organization, had one thing in common. And the starting point was active management. So people who are actually actively involved in the business. And so oftentimes I'm asked, okay, how do you get active? Well, 1530 is one of those tools, right? You, because it, it causes you, it gives you that drumbeat, it gives you that management kind of that piece of the pie in the cycle to to get um to to get active. But there's a whole bunch of other things that you can do. And the starting point before you even do 1530 is something that is equally as simple to remember, and it's called Heads Up. Um, And it really says, take your nose out of your device, out of your technology, out of your reporting, out of all of those things that cause you to look the other way or to look down away from your business, from your people. So go Heads Up and actually connect with people. And that means really take the time and the effort to 
have some presence about you where people actually know that you're part of this business. You're not some guy sitting in an office somewhere. You do walk the floor. You do come out and see what's going on. You do get on teams for the guys who are still remote and you do connect routinely. Make sure that you've got that that vision. I'm really careful to use the word vision because I think that it needs to, again, be really super pragmatic. So it's got to be at a at a tactical team level. You've got to be able to convert whatever that big vision is macro level into a micro team level. Um, And at the same time, you've got to be able to coach and influence. So if you're not right now thinking about how good you are as a coach, you should. If you don't have coaching skills on your to-do list to look at things that you should be um, really polishing those skills skill sets around, you should. And coaching is all about you can coach the people that that you own, the, the, the guys that are on your team, but you've got to be able to influence the people who aren't on your team. Mm-hmm. And so there's a balance between coach and influence. Um, and the two of them need to be skill sets that you're using as well. So, And that's all part of being heads up. It's about really look, listen and learn what's going on around you and then do something about that. Do something with what you're seeing. Um, and when you get heads up, you again you'll see that your results will improve, but you're also going to see things like safety becomes better. The safety in your business, if you're in an environment where safety is really critical, Heads Up would be a fabulous program to implement with all your people because, again, it helps you really look, listen, and learn what's Mm -hmm. around you, what's happening, and do something with that. Okay. I was with um, a consulting company. Well, excuse me, I won't say that. I was with a company recently, and we were working on some cultural issues within that company. One of the biggest complaints for senior managers was they don't care about the culture that we have. They don't care. Okay? That's the assumption, the statement. I actually believe they do care, but the belief among the the employees is they don't care. How do they judge that? How do the employees decide that the upper management cares or doesn't care about the culture? Upper management comes to meetings and they're constantly on their devices. Yeah. They're distracted. They're answering calls. They're stepping out to do a text or answer a call or read an email. And that sends the signal that the upper management doesn't care about the culture. Yeah, yeah. Simple. And it is not necessarily accurate, but it is what we use as a judgment. So I see why heads up is a really important device. It's so important. Strategy. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And Paul Laxtell will say that the best teams, the um, best performance, best teams, period, and we're looking at performance, are the ones where their team meetings are 100% attention, no distraction permitted, period, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Make them short, stand up. So everybody, you know, gets on with it and then gets or out. long, but with a design meaningful. and with a purpose and a meaningful. Yeah. Exactly. So that yeah. attention is really needed. Okay. So heads up, look, listen, learn, you've said, and you've also said that we need to coach and influence. Now, if you're not really skilled at this relationship game, I can imagine the coach and influence scares you to no end. So do you have any advice about how to get better at coaching and influencing? I do, and I think it's all tied to to one five thirty again. So if you if you look at your operating results and you choose um, from those results 
to be able to, you know, pick a subject in there, pick an area of the business that may or may not be performing and use it to talk about what needs to change. And if you've got that 1530 routine going, then you've earned the right to actually have a coaching conversation. So what often happens and why team members are not interested in what you have to say is because you don't spend enough time with them and you don't connect enough with them. So they don't think that you know really what's going on in the business and you haven't earned the right to actually talk to them about something they need to do to change, to improve, so to coach. Um, So the more that you get into that routine, the more you're going to earn the right, the more comfortable your team is going to be in Mm -hmm. receiving Mm -hmm. your coaching and the more comfortable you're going to feel about whether, you you know, that coaching is being appreciated or not. I'd give you one other tool to help you think about how active you are and therefore um, enable you to look at where you could spend more time with your people and therefore earn the right to be able to coach. And that's um, use the tool called What Colour Is Your Day? So take a look at how you spend your time and and put a colour code to it. Pick your own colours. Um, I do things like admin is yellow, crisis, red, green. I'm coaching. I'm with my team. I'm connecting. I'm doing heads up. If you go back and you colour your day and you then look at those colours, that will tell you how active you are. It will almost give you a, a perfect immediate, you know, reflection of how you, your behaviours are actually perceived by your people because they see what colour your day is and you just may not be recognising it. Right, right. You think you're doing what you're supposed to be doing for the job, but they're yeah. seeing what really matters. Like clients matter, I don't matter, for example, because you're spending all of your time and all of your energy and your best self goes to the client not to me, your team member, who's actually delivering the results for that client. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that what multi-stakeholder engagement is all about, to really mm-hmm. understand who all the, the stakeholders are um, and, then, and then do the right thing by all of them? Right, absolutely, totally. Okay, um, so I've got one five thirty, and I like what you said. If I'm doing one five thirty, then I've got, um, I've built that connection People have a sense of me. They have a sense that I actually care or I'm listening. And I find that's a context when you're trying to talk to people about change that you want, where your employees will say, but boss, that isn't how it's actually working. Because often in the change, there's a disconnect between what you think as the manager leader and what the team is seeing. And that's where the resistance comes from, not the resistance of the idea, but the disconnect between the realities, the perceptions of the realities. And it doesn't mean you're wrong. It just means perception isn't matched. But if there's not that connection, there's no way they're going to say, boss, you got it wrong. So And even if you start down a coaching conversation about how you could do this differently, they're just going to tune you out with, yeah, sure, it was my day to get told off again, as opposed to seeing it as a coaching conversation. So I see why you say 1530 is mandatory starting point. 
Yeah, and it also gives you the opportunity to see exactly what is coming up at people each day. So if there are, you know, those horrible niggly things that get in the way of people being successful, um, you're going to start to know that because you're actually going to be speaking routinely often enough with your teams. You're going to hear about these what are perceived to be gripes when in reality there's somebody saying, hey, this isn't working the way that it's meant to work and it's getting in the way of me being great at work and we need to do something about it. Right, right. All right. Perfect point for a pause. So my guest today is Pamela Hackett. The book we're talking about is Manage to Engage, How Great Leaders Create Remarkable Results. I think you can hear from Pamela's conversation that her belief and mine is that when you genuinely connect with people, when they feel cared for by you, and you do that with a one that is when you earn the right to coach. That is when you're going to have greater influence. That's where you're going to be able to see the disconnect between what you're trying to achieve and what's actually happening. And that's how you will drive performance up, as well as a sense of purpose, as well as innovation, as well as a whole host of other good things I'm going to add in addition. one means once a day. How's it going? Quick conversation. Once a week, every five days. Tell me more about what's working, what's not working, how you're achieving your goals is, you know, kind of a longer check-in and once a month, a conversation that's about coaching, about development. Okay. Straightforward formula. That was was pretty good, Wanda. Thank you. Great summary. Great. All right. When we come back, I want to talk about the MI9 and I want to pick up this thing about how to deal with complaints and grudges and problems that exist. We'll be right back. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Pamela Hackett. We have been talking about her latest book, Manage to Engage, How Great Managers Create Remarkable Results. I should say that Pamela is the global CEO of an international consultancy called Proudfoot, um, which is a pioneer of boots on the ground consulting that has been in this game for eight decades on a quest to help companies build businesses that are both fit and healthy productive and engaged. And now you hear why the connection between productivity and engagement. All right. So Pamela, you have as part of your model. So a couple of things that we've talked about in the how to connect with people is the one We've talked about that. We've talked about the heads up concept, which is devices, distractions down and actually look, listen, and learn with your people. And then we've also now you've got another concept, which is called the MI9 it sounds like a secret service. So tell me what the MI9 is, how it works, and why it matters. Oh, you know, Management Innovation 9, the MI9, that's really what it's all about. And what it does is it says to you, if you, if you think about what we've just talked about, heads up and, you know, really taking your nose out of your device and connecting with around with what's around you that drumbeat of 1530 so now you're with your team regularly talking to them and understanding what's coming at them and then you kind of zoom over to MI9. So when you're connecting with your guys day to day, you might be talking about the operating problems, the stuff that gets in the way of them performing their work and that's great. You want to do that. But you also want to make sure that you're looking at what may be engaging or disengaging them day to day that's more in your control. And so that's where the MI9 come in. And importantly, Management Innovation 9, importantly, the reason that you want to talk about management innovation is because we spend a huge amount of time on our operating models and we spend a huge amount of time on our business models. But I bet you in your business, in, in most people's businesses, we spend very little time talking about the management model. How do you actually bring people into the business, get them trained up, motivate them, manage them, and enable them to do that great work. And so the MI9 is really as a starting point, as a kind of an introduction to what it's all about. It's asking you to look a little bit to the side of what you normally look at, your business model and your operating model, and spend some valuable time talking about management models. What do we need to do? What do we need to calibrate to absolutely better engage our people? And that's so that's kind of the intro around it. Right. Great. Fabulous. Okay. I'm intrigued. How? (laughs) Tell me. So then when we really look at the MI9, so let's take the nine. It's, It's about two Fs and seven Cs. So the two Fs are kind of bookends. You start with free, with uh, fair trade 
and you end with freedom. So if you start with fair trade, you're really talking about enabling people to feel like they've done a fair day's work for a fair day's reward, uh, making sure that you have a, a fair and authentic relationship with them as a leader, um, and making sure that you're not always going to the usual suspects for that neat, new and different you know, initiative that you want people to get involved in. So really making sure that you're running a fair trade business. It's not going to engage people, but it's going to stop people from disengaging because we all know that fairness, as much as it feels like this soft, fluffy, emotional thing over here, is a really important thing to people. And so you've got to make sure that there is that groundwork that's been done around are you running a fair trade business? And then right up the other end of the scale, so those are, that's one F, your other F is right at the other end of the scale, and that's about freedom. It's about the autonomy that, that you allow to happen in your business. It's about letting people do great work and getting out of the way of them so that they can do great work. It's about giving that direction and then saying, you know what, the, the goal is here, how you get there is up to you. So that autonomy, that feeling of freedom at work, I mean, you know, if you think about it, not to be overly dramatic, but there are wars fought over freedom. Of course, it comes to work. You know, people want to get that same sense of freedom at work. And then in between are all these Cs, all these important things. And we've used a, a really important one for much of this conversation around connection um, and the ability to connect with people. But there's also things like community building. How good are you at allowing, and not so much the sense of community that you might think in terms of um social responsibility. In this sense, I'm thinking more in terms of that sense of community at work, those buddies that you can hang with, that you have something in common with, and you all want to solve a common problem together. Um, and then obviously collaboration. Whenever you talk about together, you talk about collaboration. So if you kind of put collaboration, connection and community as one little bundle, those are all things that you should be looking at in your business and saying, how well are we set up to enable those things to happen? Then there's a couple of others. You talked about trust earlier. And so I talk about confidence. Mm -hmm. And when people trust you, they're, they feel more confident that things are going to go the way that it's it's expected. You know, they feel more confident that the leadership team can solve this big meaty problem that that uh, the business is looking at, um, and they feel more confident that the world is going to be okay. I'm going to get through this. It might be tough, but, you know, pandemic and so on, but together we're going to be able to do it. So, you know, if you think about doubt being one of those horrible things that takes away confidence, you want to make sure that in your business you're dealing with doubt, um, silence when you don't talk about particular think issues that people are, are up against um, is, a, is a really good example of where doubt can override confidence. We talked about cause already, another C, and that's all about giving that purpose, but getting very personal about it, what causes you to get out of bed in the morning. And then, of course, capability. No one can be engaged and do great work if they don't know how to do it. So you've got to be able to really, really address the capability factor at work. And then there's one other, which is less about you as the leader. If you think about all of those, um, there are things that you can bring to work every day and impact very, very easily. Then there's one that's much more about the ecosystem in which people work, the environment, the infrastructure, and that's about having a clean workplace. It's about making sure that your workplace is able to do what it was originally set up to do. So one of the great examples I use for, for clean is all about 
if, if you looked at the processes that you've got in place, are they really operating as effectively as you set them up originally and wanted them to be? And there's this great um, example that I use. I won't use the, I won't talk about the airline because I, I really do enjoy them. But when they first opened this new uh, lounge, a new fancy lounge years ago in, um, in one of the big fancy new airport terminals, they, they put in place a really beautiful lounge for all the frequent flyers. And, and as someone who does or used to do a million miles a year, um, that lounge was, you know, it was almost like your little home away from home in between flights where you, you did everything that you needed to get done before you raced for that next flight. And they put in the, into the lounges these wonderful new showers and rarely would I wash my hair. In fact, I could say never would I wash my hair if I was traveling? And this one particular day, new lounge, new, really whiz bang, beautiful showers and, and cubicles that came with it and all the fancy little, little um, shampoos and things that you get with it. And I thought, I have time. I'm going to wash my hair. And so bang, under the shower I go, I wash my hair, I come out of the shower and all of that wonderful technology, all of that wonderful, um, you know, processes and systems, everything that went into building this lounge suddenly melted away as I looked at a hairdryer that was, and I don't know if you've ever, ever experienced one of these, but have you ever seen the boxes on the wall with the big hose and then, yeah. this, and then this little tiny yeah. that comes out of it to dry your hair? Yeah. That was what I experienced. And I think that at work, we have these things, we have these hairdryer moments each and every day where we've got this wonderful new whatever it is that we've implemented, whether it is a technology or, or a new process or a new system, we think it works fabulously. But the guys who use it, they have this one little thing that stops it from being effective and then everything else melts away. doesn't matter mm -hmm. how great everything else is, you've got this hairdryer moment and you've created this extremely bad hair day for everyone who's involved in it. The yeah. ability of the leader and the manager to fix those problems, that's when you can say you're running a clean workplace. When you right. can say to somebody, I can help you fix that, or let's work on this together to get it solved. Um, you know, let's get the right people involved, or let's influence those guys that aren't in our control to really make a difference here and get it fixed. If you can fix those, then you're probably going to fix a lot of the gripes and complaints that happen mm -hmm. in your business. All right, I want to come back to gripes and complaints in a minute, and I want to stay with this concept of a clean workplace. I don't mean safety clean or um, sanitized from COVID virus. You mean clean in that it, the processes and systems are running as intended. Yeah. I think the number one complaint I hear from people who say, I can't take this place anymore. It's time for me to find another job has to do with the layering of processes. So we had one process and it didn't work so well. So we layer another process on top of it to compensate for what didn't work in the first one. And then we have a regulatory issue or a compliance issue or a legal thing or cybersecurity and we layer on another process. And pretty soon we've got so many processes layered on that the burden, the meetings, the time is expended in just working through the processes as opposed to do the work. I'm hearing people are so frustrated with that, let alone the cost. I can't imagine what that actually costs a company, all that effort. Yeah. 
and it, yeah, and it is costing them um, in lost time and lost effort and, and in pure straight cost of actually maintaining those processes. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and all of that, we, you know, I look at it, we look at it and think that's all the noise that gets, as you say, layer upon layer upon layer. And then suddenly you've got this big noisy process that's not really necessary. And so I, I think even, even today now is the best time coming out of this pandemic is really the best time to say to yourself, what's the outcome that I want to achieve? And now let's work backwards and figure out what the work is, the work content that needs to be done to achieve that outcome. And let's forget about trying to clean the existing process. Let's say, if this is the outcome, what do we actually need to do? Yeah, and I um, there's a lovely concept from several years ago about orbiting the giant hairball, that most organizations are like a giant hairball. And if you know this particular book, I think it's a great book. Um, with like these spaghetti things that are just all wound into this massive mess and you can't sort your way out of it once you get into the middle of it. And I, I find that organizations are so many dependencies, interdependencies. Yeah. I need this group and I need that group and I need this approval and I need that budget. And I need this check and I need that thing. Ugh, it's just overwhelming. Okay, so sorting through it. I love your idea of just saying, great, what let, what do we need as an outcome and how do we work backwards from it? But it's always not that easy because it is in this big system. So if you were giving managers some advice on how to help other than say to your team, yeah, I know it's terrible, but do it anyway. <laughs> this is what's happening most of the time. Where would you have managers start? Well, you know what I would say is don't go to the normal process mapping exercise. Uh, I think that that is is I've always you know you always want to use the the phrase that's so nineties or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and process mapping is that you know today you really have to do a good aerial map of the business because of those interfaces. Exactly what what you just talked about there, where there's all these connection points that people don't look at. And if you only look at the process map and you suddenly tell everybody, okay, let's map all those processes individually, separate, probably different teams, where you don't get the connection points, you're likely not going to solve the problem. And instead, what you really want to do is look at it from an aerial perspective, really look at the total terrain and map it out with all of the complexity, with all of the different interfaces, with the structures and the different KPIs. You know, you've got one team that's measured by one KPI, another team is measured by another KPI, but guess what? Those processes are meant to come together. Um, geez, how can you actually actually get work done when you've got so many different disconnects? So, yeah, so I would say avoid going the traditional process map way and really start to step back and say, I've got to look at this from an aerial perspective. I've got to do an aerial map of this that is much more interesting than a process map. I like that. Um, I'm fond of an old pre-90s technology called <laughs> causal mapping. And that you can get way down a rabbit hole on this one, but you can also sort of stay at a nice level on this one where you're looking at what's connected to what, like what's causing us to not be able to get this product out the door or not to get customer satisfaction or whatever. And you end up with the spaghetti drawing again of all the different boxes and all the different pieces that are connected, including the competing KPIs, the competing agendas, competing mental models. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you can then put into that one. So the same idea of an aerial map of the entire business. Yeah. And then from there began to say, how do we clean it up? 
Is that a fair statement? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So MI9, Management Innovation 9, a bookend of fair trade. Fair, authentic, fair pay for a fair day's work, not going to your favorites, treating people fairly. Okay, great. And especially today in an environment that's about um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, I think that sense of fairness is really important. And I think it's whether people feel it's fair as opposed to objectively whether you are fair or not. And we come back to one five thirty because if you've got that going, they're going to tell you if they're feeling fair or exactly. not. Exactly. Okay? Yeah. Bookended by freedom, which is autonomy, we know that that sense of having some autonomy to determine something about what I do and how I do is one of the bigger motivators for people. Any rate, okay? So there. And then followed by seven Cs in the middle. Connecting with people, building a sense of community, knowing how to do that, allowing it, encouraging it, collaboration. And I'll give a shout out to Rob Cross on this one, not collaboration for the sake of collaboration, but collaboration where it's needed. So not overload. Confidence. And I love that you say trust. If they trust you, they feel more confident. You turn this whole confidence game in your book on an end by saying How do you instill confidence in your people? Most of the time, managers say, "Ah, you don't have enough confidence. You need to have more confidence. Performance review. I love the refresh on that one. How are you, manager, instilling confidence? A sense of cause, meaning what causes me to get out of bed and come to work with my full attention, capability, and this creating a clean workplace. All right. Excellent. So now... Employee gripes and complaints, moans, whines, managers see them, hear them all the time, get frustrated by them. You've got two minutes. What's the secret to dealing with complaints? Oh, I think you've got to get to the heart of it and figure out really quickly. And if you do one five thirty often enough and, and the right way, you're going to be able to figure out, is the complaint an energy vampire that you should absolutely get off the bus um, or is it more around a flying monkey um, where people are just kind of saying you got to do this because, you know, the, the big cheese over here said that you have to do it? Um, or is it a genuine, and I, I love Adam Grant and his disagreeable givers, um, is it a, a genuine somebody who's saying, hey, this is really not good enough, we can do better than this, and we need to do something about this, help me do something about it. So I think that the real key Um, as a leader, as a manager in business today, if you manage to engage, if you figure out the secret source, and and I think 1530 is is kind of the the crux of that secret source, if you get that right, you'll be able to really quickly establish which of those three are are where that gripe is going or coming from, and then deal with it accordingly. Um, And as I say, if it's an energy vampire, I think it's that you've got to get the right people on the bus. So if they're not the right people, do something about that. Um, if you can't find the people because there's a, a huge talent shortage out there, don't put the wrong person in. Keep the position vacant because you'll end up with an energy vampire or other people will be um, disengaged through the action of putting the wrong p- people into that role. Um, or let's now go down the, the road of, of, you know, is it a clean issue? Is it, Or perhaps it's any one of those MI9 that needs to be addressed because that's the heart of the gripe. All right. So I separate my complainers and whiners into camps that are energy vampires and other causes. 
I'm gonna, I simplified it from what you said. And then if it's one of the other causes, the energy vampires, they have to go. Uh, other causes, I go back to my MI9 and say, which of these are in my suite to do something about? And how is it that we clean up the processes, we take rid of the flying monkeys, the et cetera, and we actually improve the quality of the work of the people and engagement that's being here. Okay. All right, Pamela, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Sadly, we are out of time. I always feel like I could talk for another 30 minutes. The book that we've been talking about is Manage to Engage, How Great Managers Create Remarkable Results. You can learn more from Pamela at Pamela Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T dot com. And she's also the CEO of the consultancy Proudfoot, if you'd like to know more. Pamela, I think the highlight for me of the whole thing is 1530. Just start 1530. Once a day, how's it going? Quick conversation. Once a week, tell me about the problems, the goals, the successes. Once a month, let's talk about development and career. If I do that well, the rest of this becomes so much easier to accomplish. And you'll get to a point where you are managing to engage. I'm so glad that you picked up on that one because I think that is, to me, that's it's so simple and yet we don't do it. So it's time to do it. Let's just get it done. Great. Thank you very much. If you've liked our podcast today, please like us on your favorite podcast provider. And if you'd like to know more about how to apply these concepts, check us out our new subscription service at Out of the Comfort Zone. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Thanks, Wanda. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week. 